Hey, let me add my word of welcome to you today. We're so glad that you're here. Look at all these people, Cameron. Man, they must have come to hear you sing, you think? You don't think so? Well, they didn't come hear me preach. That's not why they were here, okay? We want to welcome those who are worshiping with us online as well. Now, you know Cameron Winton, who sings for us and does many things. Okay, she's, yeah, we're going to talk about it, yeah. Okay, well, she's celebrating, we're celebrating with her 20 years of service here to Woodlawn. We're so grateful to have her. And I'm going to I'm gonna share, yeah, we're, we're getting plenty of time for that. Go ahead. <clears throat> so, I'm going to share some things about her you may not know. Okay, are you ready? Okay, here we go. She, she has an education. She went to Asbury College, the, the college in Wilmore, Kentucky, the holy city. Yes. And she graduated with a BA and then she went to Troy University and she got a master's there in counseling and psychology. And so because she wanted to work with me, she had to have that. And then now she is currently enrolled at Liberty University pursuing a doctorate of education. Yeah. How about that? And pursuing a licensure in the state of Florida and licensed mental health care. And you know, with all her degrees, we're going to refer to her as Dr. Fahrenheit. That's what we're going to do. But I knew her before she went to preschool. So I, we go way back. Yeah. And so, yeah, I know. Yeah, that's true. Okay. So here's the deal. Cameron came on staff here in 2003. She was working part-time. They, they, they had a job for her. It was part-time. She also worked at the bank, but she would bring free samples from the bank and put them in the offering. And so <clears throat> she lost that job at the bank pretty quick. Oh, that didn't happen. No, did I say that out loud? Okay. And so then what happened was we put her on staff full time and got her out of prison. No, she's here. And she, she is the minister. She was the minister of youth. She took care of the youth. And then she launched Celebrate Recovery. And she led that for uh, some time. And then she became the director of discipleship ministries. And now she's the present director of missions. And she also went back and became the interim youth director because we were in between youth directors. We needed somebody. And she stepped in and helped us. And then she launched Grief Share. And she's a Grief Share team leader. And then she launched Divorce Care with some other people. And made that happen. And she's been involved in overseeing small groups. And she started, you know, working with us with Woodlawn Way, our new member class, International Missions Partnerships. She helped launch 21 Days of Prayer and the Elijah House Healing Prayer and Training Serve Days. She also uh, helped to start the Epic Service that we started years ago. And then the 940 that she sang in the band, played there. And then also the 1015 band that we have here. Uh, and she preaches too. The woman is a Renaissance woman. She can preach, she can sing, she can teach, she can do it all. And so she also teaches a Bible study for women on Wednesday nights often. And so that's just a little bit about her. But you see why we love her so much. And then I wanted to just share some adjectives about Cameron because you have yours and I have mine. And I asked some people, you know, to share with me some of their thoughts too because I was coming up with ideas. And here are some of the things they said. I'm sure you'll agree to all these. You'll probably have more. Accomplished, intelligent, kind, talented, skillful, experienced, loyal, giving, sensitive, intuitive, servant, perceptive, trustworthy, funny, loving, interesting, refreshing, beautiful, delightful, good listener, good friend. Cameron, I can't read this next word you wrote right here. Oh, wait. Did I say that out loud again? Hmm. Things that make you say, hmm. Okay, it's almost over. Hang in there, okay? 
It's been my observation that Cameron is a network all into herself. Her office is next to mine, and if she's in the office, all the staff is in there with her. She draws people to her, and it's hard to try to sum up a person and their ministry on paper, but Cameron, I would have to say, is the glue that often holds us together. She thinks of others. She blesses us, and because of it, we appreciate her. She is a joy to work with and an invaluable member of our team. We are so thankful to have her as a part of Woodlawn and look forward to many, many years of service in the future. We have a check for her today from you, and you're going to give it to her, and we're going to let you keep it this time. We gave it to you earlier, and there's a reception for her back there after this service. So you're looking at me going, hurry up, hurry up, speed it up, okay? Let's just let her know how much we love her, okay? Thanks, Cam. You're a good sport. I don't care what they say about you, okay? <laughs> All right, now listen. We're in this series that we've started off this month, and we're talking about change. And if you're here today and you want to break a bad habit, you've come to the right place because that's what we're going to be talking about today. And so here's the point. People don't plan to mess up their lives but they do it all the time. And so how do people mess up their lives? Well, they make one bad decision or one wrong step or one harmful habit, and they never change from those. They just start going in the wrong direction. An example in the Bible is the story of Samson. And it's a tragic story. And if you want to read a little more details about it, you can read in the Bible, Judges chapter 13 through 16. I'm just going to hit some high highlights for you about Samson today. Now, he started out with a godly mother, and, and she taught him how to be a godly man. And he was actually a judge in Israel for 20 years. He took a Nazarite vow, which probably lasted 30 to 60 or even 100 days. And it said that during that time, he would not drink wine. He would not cut his hair or his beard. He would avoid contact with, contact with dead bodies, and he would eat eat no unclean foods. Now, Nazarites are mentioned in the Bible, and, and there are the Samson and Samuel and John the Baptist. Samuel and John the Baptist didn't initiate the vows that they took, but they accepted the vows that were made for them and dedicating them to God's service by their parents. Now, I want you to keep that in mind, okay? Don't lose that. Hang on to Samson. Of course, we're coming back to it. But I want to give you a modern-day illustration that's kind of an analogy of what happened with Samson because he made a bad choice, and we're going to talk about that. And then because of that, he kept making bad choices, and it ultimately it cost him his life. Now, i got to confess to you, when I share this next current illustration with you, I feel a little bit like Casey Kasem, okay? And you'll see why in just a minute. But I'm going to enjoy that. Is that okay with you if I enjoy this while I tell this story? Because nobody else is. Okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you, that back in the early 1980s, there was a song that came out, and it was about 
temptation. Maybe you heard it. Maybe you remember it. I was surprised. I talked to some people, and I was surprised how many people remembered this song. It was about how the devil can make something look really good, but in actuality, he knows all the time it's a trap that will lead you into sin. There was a woman from Georgia, and she was actually blind, and she was trying to get a hit record, and, and nothing was really working for her until she got two old boys from Nashville, Tennessee, to write some clever lyrics. And their lyrics, with her voice, produced a hit record. Her name is Terry Gibbs, and the song that she wrote and sang was Somebody's Knocking. You may remember the way it started out, just very briefly. Somebody's knocking, should I let him in? Lord, it's the devil, would you look at him? I've heard about him, but I never dreamed. He'd have blue eyes and blue jeans. Now, the point of that song is that the devil's not going to try to tempt you with something that's unattractive. You know, he's not going to just come up to you and say, I'm here for your appointment to sin today. That's not the way that works. He's going to sneak in there, and, and before you know it, you're going to see something, and it's shiny and pretty and looks good, and all of a sudden, he's going to trap you if you're not careful. And so that can lead to evil. It can lead to sin. It can lead to death, and that's what happened to sin. Samson. He gave in to temptation and it cost him his life. Now in Judges chapter 16, we read this. One day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute. The prostitute's name was Delilah. We all know about Delilah. They've made songs about her, right? And that was his first bad decision, followed by another bad decision, followed by another, until ultimately it ended very tragically for him. Now, what I want you to notice is that it was a life of destruction, but it started in Zorah. That's where he was living. And he had to walk from Zorah to Gaza. It's 25 miles from Zora to Gaza, or it's 56,250 steps to get there. Now, it's not a good idea to go there, first of all, because he's going to get in trouble. But here's another thing. It was enemy territory. He's already alienated these people. They've, they've battled with him before. He, he's not thinking clearly, and he's going to go somewhere that they really want to kill him. And so nobody plans to mess up in their lives, but it happens. And sometimes it happens one step after another. If you start going in one direction and you don't ever change that direction, then you're going to end up in the wrong place. But thankfully, you've got 56,250 steps to change your mind and go in a different direction and, and go the way that God would want you to go. Nobody dreams of ending up being in a job that they can't stand and they absolutely hate. Nobody in, it believes that they're going to end up with a life of mediocrity that's undisciplined. And it happens, though, so often. But it doesn't have to happen. So this whole series is about the power to change. And if you want to change today, you can tap into the power that can allow you to do that. In week number one, we learned that real and lasting change isn't behavior modification. It's spiritual transformation. In other words, it's not something I do by myself, but it's something that God does in me and through me and with my obedience and faithfulness and surrender to 
to him, he has the power to change us and move us in a different direction. It's a change of the heart. It's not just changing things on the outside, but it's allowing God to change us on the inside so we don't go back to that. Second, we talked about identity. Why we do what we do. And you do what you do because of what you think of you. Now, that's the truth. And when you don't have good self-esteem and when you don't think you can accomplish anything and when God's calling you to do something you're scared to death to do and you're afraid you can't do it, you keep thinking that, you keep limiting yourself, and it's not true because God wouldn't call you to something that he wants to accomplish through you unless he allows you to do it and be successful in it. So what do you think of yourself? What is your identity? If you want to change today, you are not who you think you are. You are who God thinks you are. You're who God says you are. And so we talked the first week about, you know, you need to have a why that you're going to change. But it's not just any why. It's a spiritual why. What's the God why? What is it spiritually that God wants to do in my life? That's the why. The second week we said it's a spiritual who. Who does God say that I am? Who does God want me to be? Who is God trying to call me and mold me into becoming? And so our identity is in God. And he transforms us to be like Christ. And he empowers us to do his will. Now, last week, we talked about the spiritual what. We talked about habits, and we said, what habit do you need to start? Make it obvious and make it easy. Maybe there's something that you've been thinking, you know, God has just been nudging you. The Holy Spirit's been prompting you. And you know, you know, I need to start doing this. I, I've talked about it. I've thought about it. I've shared it with other people, but I've never really started doing it. And so I need to start doing it. What is that thing that comes to your mind and heart when I talk about it? Maybe you've listened to the messages and every time I bring it up, it comes back to you. Maybe it's just really giving you grief today and you want to get out of here because you don't want to do it. But God is saying, you know, I want you to see what you can become and that you can make it obvious you can make it easy and we said you know if you want to study the bible in the morning put your bible right by your toothbrush and when you brush your teeth then you can read your bible if you're not in the habit of brushing your teeth <laughs> then when you read your bible you can brush your teeth and please do that before you come to church okay and then our, our, our question today is this Based on who you want to become, what's the one habit that you need to break? You know, you know where you want to go. You know where you're trying to head. But, but there's something that you've just never been able. It's just gnawing at you. It's just really been getting next to you. And you know that God's convicting you and speaking to you about it. And you need to just surrender to it. What's the one habit you need to break? In James, it says this. So get rid of every filthy habit and all wicked conduct. Submit to God and accept the word that he plants in your hearts, which is able to save you. He says, don't entertain it. Don't tolerate it. How do we do that? Well, we don't do it in our own strength, but we submit to God, to his authority, to his word, to his power. And we accept what he plants in our hearts so that he is able to save us. We submit to his powerful word, and he saves and transforms us forever. So you can be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you can test and discern. Now, which way is God leading me? 
me? What is it that he's telling me? What do I need to break? Now today, as you want to break this habit, I'm going to give you a few little tips here, first of all. And one is you have to define it. You have to define it. You have to own up to it and be honest about it. Define it because you cannot defeat what you will not define. So maybe for you it's diet, and you want to change your diet and break some habits, and so you're going to cut back on sweets, or maybe you're going to cut back on carbs, or maybe you're going to cut back on fast food. Or maybe it's something that's not as visible to other people. It's something more inside of you, not so much on the outside. It could be an attitude. You might have an habitual attitude that is not healthy. Maybe you have a critical spirit and you pick everything apart. Maybe you have a complaining heart and nothing is good enough for you. Maybe you have a gossiping tongue. Maybe, you know, what you want to become, you know you're not going to become unless you break that one habit. Now, we all have good intentions. Look at the person next to you and say, I know you have good intentions. Go ahead and tell them that right now. But is it possible, is it possible that maybe you do have good intentions, because we do, but is it possible that, that our follow-through is where we're really failing? Our follow-through is where we're not really gaining victory. And so it raises a question, why is it that good habits uh, are really difficult to start and bad habits are really difficult to break? Have you ever thought about that? Well, here's the reason that good habits are hard to start. The reason is when you start a, a good habit, the pain comes first, and that's the hard part. And then once you do it, the payoff comes later, right? So that's why we struggle with it, because it's painful. It's difficult. We're trying to shift gears, but there is a payoff if we'll hang in there. Why is it that bad habits are difficult to break? Because with bad habits, the payoff is up front. <laughs> I get the payoff immediately, but the pain comes later, doesn't it? And we don't want to look at that. We don't want to talk about that. We don't want to think about that because this looks like it's pretty good. Let's just go in this direction. And then we have regrets because of it. One bad habit is how people ruin their lives. One decision at a time. And last week, we said, make a good habit start. Make it easy. Make it something simple that you can do. Now, we're going to talk this week about bad habits, so it's going to be difficult, right? And so here we want to do the second thing is we want to remove the cue, C-U-E, cue. And in Psalms, it says this, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. Now, here's what happens. You get into a queue and the queue, it leads you into a behavior that you're not pleased with. You don't want to do it. But if you don't deal with it, you get in the habitual cycle. And before long, you keep doing that thing that you don't want to do. And it's like the Apostle Paul we talked about earlier in this series. Why is it I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do? And so it's that habit. And so what can you do in that situation? Well, you can remove that cue from your life. Here are five of the most common cues that the enemy wants to use in our lives to get us sidetracked to do things that we don't want to do. First of all, the word place. Place. 
You see, what happens is when you're in a certain place and you're cued and you're triggered to act a certain way, that's when the wrong thing can happen. For example, let's say that you want to start eating right. And maybe you might have a tendency, you know how you eat, you know, you get portions of food and you eat. And then your wife, I mean, I mean, someone shares with you that, that maybe you need to just wait a minute. Just wait. Just eat that portion and let's just wait. And let's let that settle in and, and let your brain catch on with your stomach with what's happening, right? Y'all are laughing, but, but you do this. I know you do. Okay. So here's what happens. We do that. And then we realize, hey. I'm not as hungry as I thought I was. But if we don't stop to do that, we just keep going. So if you struggle with the portion control, maybe an all-you-eat buffet is not your kind of thing, okay? Because here's what you're going to do. You're going to go in there, and you're going to pay all this money. And then you're going to say, I'm getting my money's worth. I don't care. I'm staying here. I'm going to be here all day. And sometimes the people who own the restaurant are rude. I mean, they come out every two hours and check on you while you're there eating the food. And there's nobody there going to stop you because all the rest of the people are going up to get their plate too. And nobody's going to shame you for that, right? So maybe that's not a good place to go. Here's what I want you to see. Samson didn't sleep with a prostitute in his hometown. He walked from Zorah down to Gaza 56,250 steps into enemy territory. Now, there's certain places you don't need to go. Hello? And he could have changed any time. It takes a while to make that walk, right? But he didn't do it. Now, the second thing I want you to see is time. There are certain times of the day where you're more vulnerable to certain activities. Maybe you'll know it, uh, you know, you're heading in the wrong direction when you're tired, when you're mad, or when you're just worn down by the day. And then moods that you have when you're more vulnerable. If you take the word HALT, H-A-L-T, what does that stand for? Hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. These are moods where you can be vulnerable and you might go in the wrong direction. And then the fourth one is there are moments. There are moments where you might do the wrong thing. There are certain types of moments like maybe when you have a fight with a friend or a family member and maybe when you're emotional, then that's when you're going to be triggered to go in the wrong direction. There are certain times and moments that you do the same thing over and over again and so you can realize that and change that cue. The last one, five, people. Finally, you're around certain people. But here's the thing. You end up doing around those people the things that you should not and would not do. Now, here's what you need to know. Studies have concluded that the closer you get to someone, you know, the more likely you are to have the same habits as that person. They did a study with 12,000 people for 12 years, and here's what they learned. Your chances of being overweight in that particular group go up 57% if you have a friend who is overweight. Conversely, the flip side is true as well. If you have a friend in the group who loses weight, then what happens is that everybody else starts going, okay, what are you doing? I want to do it too. And then everybody starts losing weight together. Now, studies have shown us that. But Scripture told us that a long time ago. Proverbs says this, Walk with the wise, 
and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. So what you might want to do is you might want to get a new set of people. Look around the room today. Anybody look appealing to you? If you're single, this is your chance. Go ahead and check them out because, you know, if you, if you look at them and you go, I, I'd like to be more like her. I'd like to be more like him. Maybe you might want to meet them at the reception later on. I'm just saying. So maybe they might have a good influence on you. Now, the third thing is I want to interrupt the action. You, you get up, you want to attack the day, but here's what happens. The alarm goes off, and you have a habit of hitting snooze, okay? So here's what you can do. You can take your alarm clock. You can take your alarm on your phone. Put it all the way across the room so you have to get up and walk over there to it to cut it off. When I was in school, I had to room with this guy in a trailer one time, and, and he had an alarm, and it was one of those that was plugged in, and it would not stop. It just started, and it would go all day. And he had a really early class at 8 o'clock, and I didn't have class till later on. I was a senior. I, I'd already done all those 8 o'clock classes. I was smart now. I went later in the day. That alarm would go off, and he could never get up. I'd go in there and shake his bed. I'd jump on top of him. I'd slap him around. I'd go, one time I went outside, and I got snow and made a snowball and hit him with it. Nothing worked. I couldn't get him up. I said, why do you set the alarm? You're not going anyway. And he had a world record of staying in school. He finally graduated, but it took him a while because he had to drop courses and take them all over again, okay? Well, if you find something that you can change today, why wait until tomorrow to do it? Your life is a reflection of the habits that you had before. And the habits you have today, if things don't change, will be the habits you will have tomorrow. Now, habits matter because one wrong decision, one wrong step, one bad habit at a time can lead you in the wrong direction. And Samson had all this God-given potential. And he let the Philistines humiliate him, and he died blind. That was not where he intended to go. How did he get there? Well, the bad news is he took 56,250 steps, and he never altered his course. The good news is he had all those steps to change, but he didn't do it. You are what you do. You're not what you do, but you are who God says you are. And so you want to become more like God says you are. And if you don't turn away from those things that maybe you're practicing, then what's going to happen is it's going to lead you in the wrong direction. Now, I hope you'll just give me a minute because I, I want to get something off my heart. The Lord woke me up several days ago, and we've been doing 21 days of prayer, and I was working on this message, and it just hit me, and I, I just want to, I'm not going to bail off into a lot of this, but I just want to tell you a little bit about it, okay? Because to me, it's an analogy of Samson going in the wrong direction, okay? And here's what it's about. The Lord woke me up, and I saw this analogy between Samson and the United Methodist Church. And I started thinking about that for a minute. I can remember back in the year 2000 going to meetings in our conference, and it just seemed to me like I had come in much earlier. It just seemed to me like we were going in a different direction. And we got a new bishop that year, and he was different than anybody we'd ever had. And then it was subtle at first, but, but they would talk about things at the meetings, and I would think to myself, why are we majoring in the minors? This is not 
not important. And so then we got another bishop after that, and he was going more in that direction than we had gone before, and, and politics got involved. And all of a sudden, it was more important to think about what was politically correct than what was biblically correct. And even though they talked about, you know, our mission is to make disciples, they also made sure we paid that missional giving to the overall church every time. That was important. And, and I began to feel like a man without a country. And, and it was pushing me, and I was so disillusioned. And I would come back. I dreaded the going to those meetings. And it was a departure from what I was used to. You know, I remember that before, when I came down here from Tennessee, I was a refugee from Tennessee. I was here in the promised land, flowing with milk and honey. I had preachers and bishops and district superintendents that I admired and respected and looked up to, and they gave me great advice and counsel, but that was changing. And I started grieving for the way things were changing and going in a different direction. And then something ironic happened. The conference said, hey, we want to have a, a meeting, and it's a district-wide meeting. We want your church to host it because we were the largest church in the fastest growing church and so they wanted to have it here and so that's what they did and the bishop came and spoke and in that meeting he got up and he told some things that were happening in the united methodist church well our people paid attention and they sat back there and they took notes and they listened to what he said. And what was happening was we would have this general conference every four years and the delegates of the general conference spoke for the church. And those delegates from all over the world, they were the voice for the church and they always voted the right way. But here's what happened. Leaders in the church wouldn't follow their wishes. And there was no accountability and no way to change that. There was no National Guard in the United Methodist Church to fix it, right? And so it just kept, they kept pushing the envelope and changing things. And so the, the lay people of the church came to me and they said, why are we still doing this? Why are we still in the United Methodist Church? It's time for us to get out. Now, we've been doing 21 days of prayer, and I love it. And, and it's, there's some great guys who are on staff with, with Church of the Highlands because they have multiple campuses all over Alabama. And they get different ones to come in and lead every morning. And so there's this one guy that I really like, and he's an African-American pastor, and he serves the Woodlawn Church, the campus for Church of the Highlands, Woodlawn, in Birmingham. And so he comes on there, and I always like him. When he's going to be there, I get excited. And sure enough, he did a great job, and he was talking. But he made this statement, and, and it just clicked with me. And I said, that's exactly the way we felt. And here's what he said. It ain't your fault, but it is your fight. See, sometimes it's easier just to sit down and be quiet and not rock the boat and not do anything about it. And even when you feel uncomfortable and even when you're waiting, and I, I waited. I waited because I was trying to fix it. I wanted to fix it. I tried every way in the world to fix it. But more and more and more, I just became so uncomfortable and our people became uncomfortable. It started a two-and-a-half-year process. It was not something we did quickly. It took us a while to do it. But we said, hey, we got to go. You know, I don't know what everybody else is doing, but we got to go. And so we did. We were the first ones to leave. But then the conference said to the others, hey, don't worry. You'll have plenty of time. You can get out. There's going to be an annual conference in November of 23. You can get out then. But then we're going to have another one in May. And if you're ready to get out, then you can do it. And there's a lot of work to get ready to get out. And so a lot of those churches got ready and got out in May. And the people in leadership panicked. 
And they said, you know what we said about you getting out in November? We're changing the rules in midstream now, and we're not going to let you vote. And so there's like 60 churches in the conference that can't get out, and there's this class action suit, and there's other independent uh, acts, class action suit, but there's other suits that are going on, and there are churches that are trying to get out. And so at some point, that'll all be settled. But if all those churches get out, then it'll be half the churches in the conference that have left. And the tragedy is it didn't have to be that way. And the attitude of those who were pushing the envelope was, it seemed to me, that we're going to get our way even if it kills the church. And I fear that they're going to get their wish. Now, I don't want to end on that note, right? But, but, but here's the point. It doesn't matter whether it's churches. It doesn't matter if it's a biblical character. It doesn't matter if it's you or somebody you know. You know, if you and I start going in one direction, we start steering that ship in one direction, and we're going in the wrong direction, unless we change course, then we're going to end up at the wrong place. And we've got to ask God, Lord, what are you saying to me? I don't care about anybody else. What are you saying to me? And then if this is what you're calling us to do, then we want to be faithful and obedient to it. And we want to pray for everybody else that they'll do the same thing and that we'll all get to where you want us to be. So let me tell you about Jesus, the Son of God. He is perfect in every way. He loves you. And more than you can ever even imagine or describe, that's the way he feels about you in love. He came for the people like you and me with bad habits. He came for the people who are broken. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for the sinners. He didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He came for people like you and me, and he took on our sin, and he died in our place. And God raised him up from the grave, and he defeated sin and death, and he said, now you can be forgiven because of what I've done for you, and if you were the only person on earth, I would have done it anyway just for you because that's how much I love you, and I don't have any guarantee that you're going to take advantage of my sacrifice in a healthy way, but I've already done it for you before you were even born. I did it for you. And so you can be transformed, completely saved, changed into a new person. And all you have to do is turn to God and ask him to do that for you. In you, through you, with your cooperation. So today, if you're listening to my voice, and you know that the Holy Spirit is convicting you, and you know that you're going in the wrong direction, and you've tried to quit, and you know what it is that God wants you to do differently, I want to ask you, today is today the day when you'd be willing to just draw a line in the sand and say, Lord, I've tried and, and I've failed on my own, and I can't do it, but you can. And I know that you're speaking to me, and I know that the Holy Spirit is prompting me, and I know that I've got to address this, and, and maybe I'm afraid, and maybe I, I, I'm hesitant. Maybe I, I don't think I can do it, so I'm hesitant to even try. But today, in the presence of God and His Holy Spirit, you know, I don't want to walk this path anymore. I'm sick of being stuck. I don't even want to go near it. I want to turn away from it. And I want you, God, to deliver me, to help me so that I don't have to be held hostage anymore, so that I can be delivered and free, so that I can flourish, not just for me, but there are other people watching me, and I've got a witness, and I've got a responsibility to them. And based on what I want to become, what is it? What's the habit that you're going to help me break? 
And with the power of the risen Christ, you can leave it behind. You can step across the line of life that God has called you to. Father, today, right now, I pray that we would hear you. I pray that we would hear you clearly. I pray that we would respond to whatever it is you're calling us to do. Lord, it's no accident that we're here today. It's no accident that we're listening today. It's no accident that we're in worship today. And so, Lord, I pray that whatever it is you want to do in each one of us, that not only would we hear it very clearly, but we would surrender. We would give up. We would just turn to you because we know that you're the only one who can allow us to be victorious. And so with your help, we're going to give it to you. And we're going to be delivered from this habit. And, and we're going to struggle, but you're going to help us. And we're just going to turn to you every day. And, and we're going to renew this commitment. And we're going to see victory. And, and because of it, you're going to use us so much more. There's so much more you want to do. There's so many people who are far from you. And if we could just get close to you, we could impact their lives as well because you would use us. You would give us divine appointments. You would give us chances and opportunities to be a blessing. And so today, for each person who's listening to me right now, I'm just going to ask you in your heart of hearts, if you're ready to do that, would you just tell God yes? That's all you have to say. You don't even have to say it out loud. Just say, Lord, you know what it is. Yes, I surrender now. Thank you. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to be delivered from this, to not be held hostage anymore. Help me to live a free life, blessed by you, walking in your presence, doing your business for the world today. And when you do that, we'll all celebrate together because God celebrates when you take a step toward him. You take a step toward him, get closer to him, make a commitment to him. The angels tune up in heaven when somebody becomes a Christian. And so, Lord, we pray that there'll be a lot of celebrations today. And we thank you and we give you the glory and we celebrate who you are and what you do in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's children said. Amen.